Welcome to the Something Something Experience Podcast, Episode 83. I'm Michael John Simpson. We are back. First of all, let me say I am sorry for being gone for so long. 2017 has been quite the year. After seven months fraught with depression, anxiety, panic attacks, changing jobs, losing friends, relationships ending, personal and family health issues, watching our country flounder in its current socio-political doldrums, and a much-needed leave of absence, I decided it was time to start up again. The only thing any of us can truly control is ourselves, hopefully. For me, this means making extra effort to make sure things at home are good and doing the one thing I know how to do well, talk. It was time for me to get behind the mic again. Secondly, I owe huge hugs and sincere deep apologies to podcast guests Sam Warner and Kim and Scout McAndrew. I recorded episodes with them back in April 2017, and they have sat unpresented until now. For this... I'm truly sorry, and I hope that these two episodes come better late than never. I also promise to have them return for more current episodes in the near future, if forgiven. This episode features theatrical producer and events coordinator Sam Warner. I've known Sam for many years through the world's longest-running international Doctor Who convention, Gallifrey One. We talked about Muppets, movies, TV, theater production, and nostalgia. Please do keep in mind that this episode was recorded seven months ago, and there are definitely some things we talked about which might be a little dated at this point. Also, we recorded this episode over Skype as Sam lives in Philadelphia, so please forgive sound quality issues. Life is an illusion. Lunchtime? Doubly so. Here's episode 83 of the Something Something Experience. Testing one, two, three. Alright. Looks like we are recording. Yay! Yay! <laughs> so you were talking about the weather in in Pennsylvania. What part of are you in Philadelphia itself, or? Yeah, I'm about 20 minutes outside of uh, Center City, Philadelphia. I'm in what's considered the far northeast. Oh, okay. Um, basically, if I go 10 minutes in a different direction, then I'm in Ben Salem. Got it. Got it. Um, cool. So, did you did you grow up in Philadelphia? Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. I've been here. So you're uh, you're like a lifer. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Uh, the the two different sides of the family came over from two different parts of Ireland in the early 1900s and got this far and went, nah, that's good. <laughs> that reminds me of Lewis Black and the like. One of his like third album about his whole thing about he's he's in Wisconsin, I think, and he's like talking about another another or no minnesota and he's like another minnesota winner and it's like all these all these uh scandinavian people came up and and only got so far into the country and turned right and went we're home <laughs> <laughs> yeah that was pretty much like some of them went to uh there's an area here called fishtown mm-hmm. and that that's predominantly where a lot of the irish catholics went because there was there was more of them, so they were like, "Ah, oh, my people!" And it was pretty much if you got here, it was either Boston or Philly. And then pretty much after that, it was like, "Maybe we'll go into New York." But after that, they're like, "Nah, we're not going any further." Than that yeah, right yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Unless you want to go in and work on a skyscraper, we're pretty much done here. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Um. So you are well. We met through Galley, mm-hmm. and um. How did you get involved with Galley? Who did you know, or how did you get, or did you just start coming as a patron and then get kind of sucked, at, like you do, you get sucked into volunteering for something <laughs> and you wind up becoming a lifelong 
uh, employee of the con? Uh, the first year I went, I went as an attendee because um, I was I was a freelance writer for this Canadian Doctor Who fan magazine called Utopia. Oh, okay, I've heard of that. I've and heard of that. the uh, the gentleman who was the editor asked me if I was interested in going. And uh, because one of the other writers had done an interview with James Moran, and uh, she was supposed to go and actually take him a copy of the uh, the printed magazine after it was completed, and she wasn't able to go at the last minute. She got sick, so he asked me if I'd like to go. So I went, and I went on Friday, and then I left pretty much as soon as it was over on Sunday. Sunday, and I read I back. Yeah. So then I went the next year. Um, but before I went, uh, there was a thing on the website about that they were looking for volunteers. So I contacted uh, Dan and told him I was interested in volunteering for a while. And I got assigned to sit on the dealer's room door. And the person who was supposed to relieve me never showed up. So I was sitting there for like three hours. Oh, jeez. And then Dan, at one point, Dan and, uh, and, and Scott walked past and they're like, you're still sitting here. I was like, well, yeah, nobody came. I'm okay. Mm. And then after that, Dan's like, so do you want to come back all the time? I'm like, yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> Yay, volunteers. Yeah, they don't even do a volunteers booth anymore. No. Because so many people volunteer. Volunte- right, vo- you, voluntarily. Like losing half, track of half of them. Oh, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's cool. So what year was that? Oh, God, I don't even remember. Um, I think the first one I went to was... 19 or 20. Oh, okay. Thanks. So, I mean, it was a, it was, it was a few years ago and I've missed two, I think in the in-between. Yeah. I went to, went back when I was at the Airtel, I went a couple times and then, um, I was out of it for quite a while. Cause I, they, they tried to rope me into being head of security and I knew nothing about that. I'm like, I kind of like freaked <laughs> out and like, okay, I gotta go. Can I get it? You know? So, and I just kind of like ducked out. And then Sean hit me up uh, a few years ago and was just like, hey, I'd like to see you. Here's tickets. Come come see the show. And, the, God, this was like 2009, 2010, I think, 2010. Mm-hmm. And, and we went. And then the next year, so he's like, so, you want to come work for the convention again? I'm like, okay, sure. So I went and... You know, started being door, or you know, one of the one of the door people for one of the convention rooms, or one mm. of the panel rooms, and then that year, Danny went in and charmed the pants off of Steph and Dan and <laughs> and and Sean and everybody, and wound up being getting into sucked in the guest guest uh, guest liaison department. It's totally happened, and then uh, and that's it. So we've been going every year since then. So since like 2011. So yeah. Mm. So. Um, you get roped and suckered in by the charms, right? <laughs> and now you're you got moved into like the head of daytime ops or whatever, right? So yeah, yeah, that's yeah, yeah. And that was my this was my first year, and I spent most of the first day not sitting down because I was paranoid. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, totally, yeah. And then you, you realize, oh god, I got to sit down. I'm a human being. I'm going to die if I don't sit down. Yeah. So yeah. It's when you you go and invest in a pair of one hundred and fifty dollars walking shoes, and your you know so your feet don't don't completely collapse under you. 
and then you yeah i have to do that for next year because this year i didn't really think about that and i wore flat chucks oh god no no so then by the time i came on on sunday i was like crawling like an 80 year old woman (laughs) yeah i have like duck feet with pigeon toes (laughs) and so i have a huge chucks collection uh 85 pairs but um I wear orthotics in them and I change it with every pair, but I can't, and they're great for if I'm going to be going to work or, or out of an evening or whatever, it's fine. But an all, all weekend thing. No, I have to have my Brooks shoes. I can't, I can't, I just, I have horrible feet. I can't even go to concerts anymore and stand. I can't stand for that long without yeah. it hurting. The walking around isn't bad. It's the standing. That's the, the part the problem. So. Yeah, you got to even out all the pressure because it winds up building up on one spot, and then you sit down, and that spot seizes up, and you're like, "Oh, I can't do that no more." Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so you also like so back in Philly, you like manage a theater. I mean, you're a nine to fiver, but then you also are like a theater manager or theater. What? Tell me, tell me. Um, yeah, I, I, uh, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a seven to threeer now, oh. <laughs> Monday through Friday, because um, I, I actually switch positions about midway through the year. Um, with the company that I'm with, we work with uh, individuals. We're a, a long-term care facility for adults with intellectual and developmental disabilities. Awesome. awesome. And um, I'm the assistant director of their daytime programming. So oh, they cool. learn like, life skills and like work skills and things like that during the daytime. Um, and then, yeah, uh, two different um, theater companies, nonprofits that are actually both owned by friends of mine. Uh, depending on what time of year it is, I might be doing a show with either one or both at the same time. Um, and then in the springtime, the one gentleman that owns the one theater company that's called um, the Ghostlight Players, the other one is called Brook Door Productions. Uh-huh. Um, and then the gentleman that owns uh, Ghostlight also is the director of a children's group. So I assist with them during their uh, their children's production in the springtime. Cool, cool. Yeah. So what what's your degree in? Um, the first time I went to college, my degree was actually in practical special effects. Ooh. Um, yeah, I, uh, I, I, as a small child, I apparently turned around to my parents at the age of five or six and told them that I wanted to work with Jim Henson. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. I think probably every child in America in the, who grew up in the seventies, sixties or seventies probably said that. Oh yeah. Um, I mean, I remember very clearly sitting with my 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 dad is where I get all my nerdiness from. Oh, cool! Um, you know, at a very early age, I was introduced to Star Trek, Star Wars. Um, but he was him and my mother loved the Muppet Show, and my dad also liked the Dark Crystal, oh, Labyrinth, yeah. Yeah, and yeah. all those old all, all the freaky old ones. Movies. Yeah. yeah. So um, I had a collection of Muppet puppets, like the hand puppets, nice. and I I used to make things out of like. Anything that was laying around the house, and I learned how to do origami and all this other kind of stuff. So yeah, I, I apparently declared to them at an early age that I, I when I grew up, I was going to work for Jim Henson. <laughs> and then when I was, it, it's when I was in high school, um, I found out that Jim Henson died while I was at school. <sighs> Me too. And I, you would have thought that one of my parents had died. Oh, I, I know. So devastated. Yeah, that was that was my first Bowie, if you will. I mean, that was my first person of such mag mag. What's the word I'm looking for? Magnan- magnanimous uh, uh, passing of just like mm-hmm. just 
huge cultural icon for me, you know, and, and I, I grew up with, you know, went to school and there were boys and they all worship rock stars and, and, and sports stars and stuff. But to me, my first real hero was Jim Henson because he, mm-hmm. he, uh, you know, my first real life hero was Jim Henson because of the, the innovation and the entertain the, the educational aspects, you know, him being one of the people who started, uh, helped start, uh, the children's television workshop and, and, um, you know, all the PBS stuff and, and just, yeah, I remember going to school and then hearing that Jim Henson had died and coming home and flipping on the channel and it was PBS and it was an episode of Sesame street and it was mm-hmm. Kermit the Frog singing It Ain't Easy Being Green, and I just sat there and wept like a baby. Oh, for, yeah. You know, it was awful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, it was... Yeah, I mean, I came home, and I was hysterical. My parents were like, what's the matter? And they're thinking, like, one of my teachers passed or somebody in my class, and I was like, you know, Jim Henson died, oh, my God. But the, the, the thing, too, was I think it was a few days later, there was one of the editorial cartoons... It was a picture of Mickey Mouse sitting next to Kermit the Frog with his arm around him. He's like, I know how you feel. I was oh. sad when my dad passed, too. Oh, I was like, oh, God. God. Like, uh, such a uh, gut shot. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> gut shot, yeah. And then, and then um, one of those, it was one of those subtle things, but um, uh, The Month of Christmas Carol, they were working on that when he passed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And then, you know, they did the dedication thing, and then... The scene that they filmed where it's towards the end when they're talking about Tiny Tim. Oh, yeah. And Kermit's like, you know, it's all right, children. Be, you know, uh, meetings and partings are a part of life. That's the way of it. Mm. And it was one of those things where it's like, yeah, they're talking about Tiny Tim. But at the same time, they're talking about us kids. You yeah, know, the kids yeah, that yeah. lost Jim Henson. Yeah, and yeah, again, yeah, I'm yeah, sitting yeah. next to my father and I'm a blubbering mess. Yeah, yeah. You know, but it yeah. was like, you had to address... Henson's kids. I mean, we were his children. We were the kids that were brought up by, you know, I mean, we were, we were inspired by what he created, what he was able to create with basically a raincoat. Oh yeah. Which is what Hermit was originally made out of. He was the inner lining of a raincoat. Have you been, have you been to the Smithsonian and seen the, the Muppets at the American history museum? Yeah. And Mm -hmm. they have, they have the original Kermit puppet and they have the raincoat next to it. Yeah. That he cut the sleeve off of and made it, you know. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. But but that was but they had to do that because it's it's I mean like my my oldest nephew's ten so I mean he's experienced the Muppets in a different way that I always did because it was like he he always knew, he knew that there was like a difference in the voice and things like that but he never knew really like what it was he just knew that they kind of sounded different and like the tone was different and different things like that but it sure. was like. You know, they had to, even though we're grown adults, the kid in us, we are, the kid in us had to know that everything was going to be okay. Sure, sure. Yeah. 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 I remember seeing Muppet Christmas Carol too. And, and, and I was, God, I was in, yeah. I mean, and, and yeah, that, that hit me pretty hard too. Mm -hmm. But I'm old enough to have seen the Muppets on SNL on Saturday Night Live in the seventies. Um, mm-hmm. Before there was ever a, a, a Muppet show, um, so I remember that too. And mm-hmm. then seeing like they did some Muppet stuff on. The, I like the old black and white stuff. I think it might have been the Steve Allen show. I don't remember, but it was one of those late night I talk so, show yeah. variety shows. And they had the, the the that was where the the Muppets first kind of 
took off on a national level, on, on any kind of national level, but... Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was a hard one. Yeah. So, then... So, so Jim Henson dies, and, and... So, did you feel like your hopes and dreams were dashed to the rocks below, or what did you... Well, a, a little bit, but at the same time, it was kind of like... It, it was like I was sort of devastated, but it was like, okay, the Henson Company still exists. They still do special effects. I'm, t- I'm still going to do this. I'm still going to learn how to do all these things because, you know, maybe I can be the next one. And, sure. And then, just as I'm about to graduate, the CG boom hits. <laughs> Jurassic Park. God damn it. <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. like... The, the there's the, the the wonderful aspect of Jurassic Park where there's the mechanical dinosaur. Sure, sure, and sure. Then it gets rained on too much and it gets shaky. We need something that needs to be more steady. Computers can make everything better. Yeah. Well, that was the thing about yeah, and the the, the the good thing, and that's why I think Jurassic Park still holds up is because of the combination of practical and special effects, and obviously. CGI went way, way, way overboard and way got way overused, but now they've gotten where they're pulling it back and making it much oh, yeah. more for doing backgrounds or doing, you know, enhancements and still using practical effects. I mean, you can, you can tell the difference between watching the, the, the Star Wars, uh, prequel trilogies, trilogy, and mm-hmm. seeing actors interact with Jar Jar Binks, acting with acting with a tennis ball versus Rogue One, where they're acting against Alan Tudyk, and Absolutely. and just overlaying, uh, you know, his char- the CGI character over him, you can tell the difference where, you know, and BB-8 was practical as well, mm. um, you know, and it makes a huge difference, and and audiences notice, and and mm. I think that's one of the things, one of the Myriad laundry list of things that makes uh, uh, episode seven and, and Rogue One better, hands uh, far above and away better than the prequel trilogy because of just that those aspects, just those practical on screen a- aspects. Mm-hmm. Well, and that's one of the things that I really appreciated about Lord of the Rings and and, yeah. and Hobbit was the fact that. Mm-hmm. Peter Jackson was like, look, there's there's only certain ways that certain aspects of this are going to be able to be created, and that is with CG. However, when it comes to certain things, nothing beats seeing a huge right. man right. in big, you know, pieces of prosthetics and actually physically being, being there, there in your yeah. face, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. You well, get a completely different reaction. That was my one complaint with the Hobbit. Everybody shits on the Hobbit, but I liked the Hobbit trilogy, you know, of movies. I liked them. I just wanted to be in that universe more because I've seen the extended editions of Lord of the Rings probably four or five times all the way through all 12, 13 hours of it all the way through several times because I love it so much. And I think, I don't think we're ever going to get an epic fantasy, like real high fantasy, epic fantasy spectacle on film uh, like that, it's going to be a very long time before somebody comes close to that or tops that again. And The Hobbit definitely is a regression from that, but mostly my only complaint was that the chief baddie was CG, and they could have done him practical. That was my only real complaint. You know, obviously the Goblin King, you know, fine... Um, but then you had the goblins were, were practical or, you know, actors and dressed up and blah, blah, blah. That's great. Um, but you know, 
that was my only real complaint with The Hobbit. Everybody's like, oh, stretched out and pan and this and that, whatever. But I, I liked being able to spend nine more hours in that in that in that world. Oh, absolutely. Um, um, and, but yeah, they could have they could have done benefited definitely from, and I think it probably could have been two movies instead of one. Yeah, most likely. But um, but as far as like the the big fantasy things, I really think the only thing that you're really going to get that close with is going to be the rest of the Star Wars, the the, mm, the third mm-hmm. trilogy. And, you know, all the other ones, the Han Solo standalone and everything like that. Oh, sure, sure. I think that they also kind of recognize that we as as audiences, while, you know, the CG is great and all these, you know, massive sweeping landscapes are amazing and everything like that, nothing really beats having that solidity. And I think that they've really kind of grasped onto that fact. And like you said, you know, with Rogue One actually having, you know, Alan Tudyk and yeah, all those yeah, guys actually yeah. standing there and Simon Pegg, you know, oh, yeah. being in that costume. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, that, that adds real gravity to it because it also adds gravity to the performance of the person acting against Right. It. You know, right, right. like you said, rather than acting to a tennis ball, they're looking at a physical person. Right. And that adds more weight to it. And especially with everything that they've got going on in the third trilogy. Even, even if it's a puppet, you can tell the difference. Like, like, Absolutely. like Jurassic Park, <clears throat> Jurassic Park three, you know, those practical, uh, uh, raptors at the, at the end, mm-hmm. you know, when they're having that scene with the standoff with the eggs at the end, you know, you can tell when those dinosaurs get down into their face, you can tell, you can, it's more palpable and, and just everything about, you know, Jar Jar just does doesn't yeah. work, and and also with the 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 bad uh, orc guy in the Hobbit, it's the same thing. It just doesn't. It's just not there. There's something missing. Yeah, yeah, actors are good, and actors can can pretend, but it's it's so much better when they're talking to somebody who's really there. Yeah, um, I mean, just as a um, over this past summer, there was in the. Um, uh, the Discovery Times Museum, which is in Times Square in, in New York City. Um, it's basically a big building that's kind of like a big empty warehouse. And on each floor, they do a lot of these like country traveling exhibits. And there was a traveling exhibit of all the original Star Wars costumes. Mm. And there were some of the props. So I, I took my oldest nephew. That was his birthday present because now he's into Star Wars. Nice. But now he's into Harry Potter. Oh, yeah. So. You know, the nerdy aunt in me is very, very proud of me. <laughs> so, um, but that's what he wanted. He was telling me about it. So that's what, you know, I got him for his birthday. We made like a big thing out of it. I took him to Ellis Island and, you know, took him to the Statue of Liberty and everything because the museum walk itself was only like 30, 45 minutes. Yeah. But we're walking through and he's taking pictures. Oh, that's this person's. That's this person's. And we go around this one corner and it's a very, very tiny section of the room and there's a glass case in the middle of the room. And it's the original Yoda puppet. <gasps> and, and that's pretty much exactly what happened. I walked into the room and I went, oh, it's Yoda. And I walked up to the glass and I was like six inches away from him. And he's just staring at me. He's like, yeah, it's Yoda. And I'm like, just just give your aunt a moment. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I just, yeah. I'm six inches away from the real. And there was such a, you know, the, the little kid in me was like so excited. Yeah, yeah. And then the grown up special effects nerd in me was looking at it going, there's a little bit of flaking over here, but that looks like some latex. Oh, there's a little bit of foam core. Well, what do I think to make this? So there's like two different parts of my brain going simultaneously, but they were both so ridiculously excited. That's cool. Yeah. Did you get when you were doing getting your degree? Did you get to work on any projects at all, or really was it just like a cut off at the knees because of the whole 
The only thing I really, I didn't really get to do very much, but I was at uh, production. I was a, a intern PA along with a couple of other people because the Sixth Sense was in town filming. Oh, yeah. So it was like me, three other people from my school. There were two people from, um, oh, God, University of the Arts, and then two from um, Moore College of Art out of Temple. Okay. And it was like we did a two-week rotation. And for the most part, it was kind of just a lot of running and, you know, watch the guys actually, you know, do the makeup and stuff like that. But I was around when they did the scene with um, Misha Barton was the little girl that was being po- that was poisoned by her mother. Right, right, right. When, when uh, Haley Joel Osment pulls the blanket off yeah, of her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's like got then, stuff yeah, out of her mouth, right. You know, calming yeah, down yeah. and everything, so that was like a little bit practical. So we were there just to kind of watch. We didn't really do anything hands on. Like I said, it was just because we were interns and still didn't know what we were doing. Sure, sure, sure. Um, and then the day that they filmed towards the end, where Tony Collette and Haley Josman were in the car and the bike messengers on the side, and she kind of walks past. We were on the background for that day too. Um, so it was neat, just kind of doing that sort of things. And then like I did a couple of um, independent movies that kind of filmed in the area because the greater Philadelphia film office um, back then there wasn't really a lot being filmed in the city unless it had a ridiculous amount of money or it was very independent. There was like no gray area. Yeah. And now there's a lot more gray area. There's a lot of stuff that's randomly, you know, being filmed for different things in the area. But um I was an assistant makeup person for a short called Smoke and Mirrors, which was about a, if I can remember correctly, she was, uh, was a, uh, a nightclub dancer in Cuba who helped to assassinate Marilyn Monroe, if I remember correctly. <laughs> wow, that's... Yeah, it was a really, it was a very odd, it was a very odd film. Um, and then this other one, it was... Um, it was an art piece. It was called The Seamstress. It was filmed completely in black and white. Oh. Uh, and it was about a girl who kind of worked for a sweatshop kind of thing in like the early 1900s. And she lived in this fantasy world where she would take scraps of material and she would steal them and bring them home with her. And she was going to make this gorgeous dress so that way she could impress this man who was like the mechanic on all of the sewing machines and everything. And, you know, when you go to look at it, it's this gorgeous gown that perfectly matches. And the reality of it is, is it's like a bunch of patchwork Mm -hmm. and things are hanging off and it doesn't really fit and everything. Mm -hmm. And she's like living in this, you know, kind of world in her own head. Right, right. And then the guy finally sees her and he's like, ugh, I don't know about that. You know, but um, it was submitted to a couple film festivals and then I kind of lost track of the director. So I don't really know what happened past that. But then it got into the... I got bills to pay, so retail job it is. <laughs> yes, yeah, 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 yeah. So how are you? How are you able to? Um, so, did, in addition to that, were you also doing theater in in school as well, like yourself, like acting or doing tech for theater as well as? I was I was doing a little bit of acting. Um, it was more just like stage readings just because the school that I went to was down in center city. So there was, you know, there was like a lot of, you know, different like arty groups in the area. There was like fringe festivals and things like that. Mm-hmm. And then I didn't do it for a really long time. I did it in high school. Okay. All four years that I was in high school, I was in eight different musicals. Um, and then I did a couple of just kind of stage readings and straight shows when I was in college. And then after that, I kind of lost track of it. 
And then a few years ago, um, a guy that I went to high school with was like, hey, I started this theater group. Um, I really need some cast people, and I know that you can do a really good British accent. Can you please come do my version of Christmas Carol? Ooh. So I, I went out for one part and wound up playing four characters. Oh, wow. <laughs> because there was me and, like, two other people that could do British accents, mm. and that was pretty much it. Um, so I did shows with them and with him, and then, uh, unfortunately, that, that group has since folded, but through them I met these two other people who have these two other theater companies, mm-hmm. so... You know, I've kind of been doing things with that, and it's a combination of sometimes it's backstage stuff, and sometimes I'm on stage. It kind of depends on what the show is and what's needed. And but a lot of the things that I learned in college, I've kind of been using with that too, because the the that that Christmas show that we did, the Christmas Carol version, um, it was something where it, it became a running joke that I had a magical uh, a magical box of tricks. Because it'd be like, oh, we need this really weird prop. Where are we going to get this? And I would look at it and go, give me three days. I can probably make one. <laughs> and like, one of the things was they needed a fake Christmas turkey. Oh, wow. And I got a, I got a pillowcase, and I basically made it look like a turkey body. I made turkey legs. I put a big bow around it, and I painted it a little bit brown in some places. I walked it in. I'm like, here you go. Wow. So it, it, it's become a running... It's become a running joke now with all the theater people that's like, you know, they need a really weird pop prop. Sam, you've probably got that, you know, laying around somewhere, don't you? Yeah, sure. No problem. <laughs> <laughs> so at least you still get to do some of that, so that's good. Yeah, that's good. exactly. So, um, so what, uh, what were your, what were your other influences like growing up besides Jim Henson? I mean, obviously Jim Henson was a huge one, but what... What kinds of other things? I mean, you mentioned British accents, and you said you got all your nerdiness through your dad. So you did oh, yeah. you watch a lot of that kind of stuff together? And mm-hmm. the I I can <laughs> uh, I remember being a very young age and very very clearly watching things like Dynasty, Dallas, Saint Elsewhere, uh, Murder She Wrote, sure, and Perry Mason. And my dad would always get really angry because my mom and I would sit next to each other and we would watch like Matlock or Perry Mason or something like that. And my mom and I would whisper to each other and we'd be like, Oh, we know who did it. No, you don't. Yeah, we do. No, you can't possibly. And my dad wouldn't be able to figure it out. And then he'd be like, Oh, and my mom and I would be like, Yeah, see, we told you. But, um, like, yeah, we used to. We used to watch things like PBS, like PBS Mystery, you know, P- the Masterpiece and all of those different things. Um, but my dad would always have a hard time with British shows just because um, he's deaf in one ear. Oh, OK. So um, he he got I, I don't remember exactly what it was, but when he was about 14, he started to lose the hearing in his one ear. Oh. And he eventually got to the point where it was completely gone. Oh, yeah. Um so anytime a British television show would come up, after a couple minutes, he he would just kind of like feign disinterest, like, oh, I mean, this doesn't look any good. What I, what we figured out later was was that the thicker the accents were, the harder it was for him to understand. So um, the first show TV show that my mom and actually uh, and I got him to watch was Are You Being Served, and that was because it was easy for him to understand. Right, everything. very 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 middle of the road accents. Nobody really right. has it. Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. Mrs. Slocum has a little bit of a northern twang, but other than that, there's not much. Yeah, it was very clear and precise, and he could understand them, and right. he thought it was hysterical. Right, right, right. Well, then I made the mistake of, like, Dad, watch this show with me. My uh, my friend got me into it. It's called Red Dwarf. Oh, You'll boy. really like it. 
and five minutes in, my dad's like, what is he saying? I would have to keep telling him everything that Lister said. Yeah. Because he couldn't understand. Yeah, he couldn't understand, yeah. <laughs> but my dad would watch all those, like, I mean, I was brought up on, like, you know, the Universal movie monsters. Like, oh, yeah. Lego sure, sure. Lon Chaney, Lon Chaney Jr., and, and all of those things. And, like, to the point where I was pretty much the only 10-year-old that I knew that could do the entirety of Who's On First by themselves. Nice. You know, Abbott and Costello and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, I would talk to people about, oh, I just watched this new comedy guy. His name's Red Skelton. You know, and they're like, what do you, I've never new. heard of him. <laughs> new, yeah. He'd been, you know, yeah. he was in his 80s by that point when yeah. I was talking about sure. him. But So there was a nice mix of, like, the very old... And, you know, the sort of, well, modern for the time, you know, the 80s television. But, right. I mean, but it was something where, like, it was kind of through the whole family. Like, there's a running gag now with me and most of my cousins. Like, we can all do multiple Abbott and Costello routines. Sure. Like, one of us will start a line and the rest of the cousins will jump in. Right, right. And we're all in, like, our early 30s to early 40s. Right, right, right. Yeah, you're, like, a, you're, a, you're a Gen Xer like me, so... Yeah. yeah, that's the, that's the thing, and, and I've said this before that the, the the kind of the unique thing about our generation is we spent an awful lot of time watching TV with our parents and watching mm-hmm. old movies with our parents and watching old movies and TV shows on our own because they weren't making a lot of new stuff for kids until mm-hmm. the toy cartoon boom hit in the mid '80s, um, in the early to mid '80s that time in between before then it was lots of what Saturday afternoons watching old movies on the local TV channel. We didn't have mm-hmm. cable. We only had the three, three channels plus PBS plus independent. So we only mm-hmm. had like five or six channels on the TV. And yeah. so we spent a lot of time watching old things and listening to old things. And, you know, if you listen to like Dr. Demento, you started developing kind of a comedy nerd thing and you would go to the, go to the swap meet and buy or flea market and buy old Bill Cosby eight tracks and records or whatever. And, you know, and, and, and so, and you wanted to listen to that stuff and memorize it and and absorb it, you know, and, and then you'd watch those TV shows over and over again. You'd tape them off of PBS, like Red Dwarf and Monty Python and watch them over and over again. But it was that we have that nostalgia for the things that our parents grew up on as well. And that's Mm -hmm. kind of a unique thing because most generations shy away from whatever their parents kind of eschew whatever their parents were into but we liked that stuff did you yeah. were you into the stuff that your did, did you know your grandparents and were you into the, any of the stuff that they were into as well yeah only to a certain degree like my my grandfather was a hardcore like baseball was everything baseball was religion and god mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and uh, that's a very east east coast thing <laughs> Yeah, I yeah. don't, and I, I, another running joke I, I have with friends of mine is I don't sports. Okay. Yeah. I don't, yeah. I don't watch them. I don't participate in them. They're not really, like, if it's on in the background, that's fine, but I will not, like, of my own volition sit down and watch a baseball game. Right. But at the same time, my, my, my grandfather and his, uh, his wife would rent a, uh, short house in Wildwood, New Jersey for three months every year for years. Um, and actually until his, his, uh, wife became very ill before she passed and he did the same thing every day. And it was, you know, he got up, he, you know, made breakfast and everything like that. He put on his swim trunks and his button down shirt that would always be unbuttoned halfway. And he would sit on the porch and he would listen to 
the one of the two radio stations that was not baseball. And it was like Ella Fitzgerald and Etta James and Count Basie and, you know, everything like that. And that is something that I will always associate with them and being down the shore to the point where, like, on my Spotify lists, I have all of that music. Yeah. You know, it's just, it, that's, that's, you know, and that was never something that was my dad's. My, my mom a little bit, but my dad was more like classical music and like Elton John and stuff like that. And my mom was more like Beatles and, right. and right. you know, that, that older stuff, like, you know, all, all the Duke Ellington and everything like that. So that's kind of where I always associate that with. But um, it's funny, though, because my um, the, the nephew that I took to New York, um, he was sleeping over my parents' house the one day and he came downstairs and my dad was watching the old black and white Perry Mason. Oh yeah. And, um, and you know, he's halfway through an episode and he's like, let me just, you know, finish this one and I'll turn on something else. And, uh, it got to be the end of the episode and my nephew's like, pop, who is that guy? And he's like, Oh, his name's Perry Mason. He's like, can we watch another one of those? Yeah, sure pal. So he puts it on five or six episodes later. My, and he's, He's going to be 10 in a couple of weeks. This, so this happened like a year ago. He was like nine years old. And he's like, Papa, I grew up, I want to be Perry Mason. <laughs> it's like, okay, kid. <laughs> nice. But, you know, and it's, you know, that's some of the things that now it's like, you know, he watches some of the stuff that he watches, but every once in a while he'll come over and he'll look at my DVDs or, you know, something that I'm watching and he'll pull something out and be like, can we try this? You know, like when one of the first things that I, I sat him down with was um, he pulled Fantasia. Oh, nice. Out of my DVD collection. He was like four because he saw Mickey Mouse on the cover. And I had to tell him, I'm like, well, pal, just so that you know, it's not all Mickey Mouse. Mickey Mouse is only in a little bit. That's okay. He was mesmerized. Wow. The entire hour and a half to the point where when I shut it off, he's like, we watched it again. Okay. Yeah. That's great. You know? That's great. And you're also exposing him to classical music and all that. You know, yeah. So that's great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, my my grandfather was really into um, old cowboy music, old uh, old old country and western music from forties, fifties. He really liked Marty Robbins, and he liked any kind of old kind of gunslinger, you know, cowboy tune kind of stuff. And um, and a lot of my grandfather's stuff, he wasn't into media a whole lot. I mean, he read the newspaper and watched Larry King every day. Um, and then, uh, but but we we just spent a lot of time talking about life and the world and his whole thing was sitting on the porch and watching the storms roll in they were on they were further down the coast in uh, in virginia in rural virginia and um his his ports faced to the east so he'd sit and watch the storms roll in and and you know and then as soon as it started like really raining heavy he'd go inside but that was i would sit on the porch and watch the thunderstorms with him when i was a kid and we'd sit and listen to marty robbins records and stuff that was cool Nice. Yeah. Yeah, the but I I got into through cartoons, through like the old Bugs Bunny cartoons and all of all of their social commentary and pop culture commentary of the time the contemporary time that those were made in mm-hmm. kind of backed me I kind of backed my way into some of that stuff of watching old movies and wanting to get those cultural references and, and mm-hmm. understand them. And, um, you know, I'll be 
I'll be in a room with someone who's, you know, in their 80s or 90s and I'll sing like an old Bing Crosby tune or something and they'll just look at me and go, how do you know that? You know, and I've got, that's one of the questions I've gotten from so many older people, uh, you know, my whole life is how do you know that? And it's like TV, Mm -hmm. TV and and cartoons and, and, you know, being interested in the pop culture of your, of when you were growing up, you know, and again, I think that's a unique thing because we had that kind of thing where Generation X where we were just kind of like, you know, the, that whole seventies thing of you have your kids and you stick them in front of the TV so you can go do whatever you're going to do. And, and, mm-hmm. and, and, you know, being, being raised latchkey kid raised on TV and all that. And so, you know, we, we would watch anything we could get our eyeballs on. And, and mm-hmm. when there wasn't a cartoon or something that was made for us, we'd watch something else. And of course, in the seventies and eighties, when you only had four channels, you watched everything. I mean, everything <laughs> we watched everything in prime time. I was just, um, I saw somebody posted something about Archie Bunker on, on, um, on Facebook. And I went down like a, probably like a 45 minute rabbit hole of watching clips from all in the family. And, and a lot of them were centered around the final episodes of the series when Edith died. And I'm just sitting there crying and remembering sitting and watching that on TV when it was happening. The first time it was ever shown sitting next to my mom. Cause, uh, my, my stepdad's uh, grandmother had just died and sitting there with my mom crying and me crying, you know, that whole thing and all of that just came flooding back. And, but just remembering, thinking a lot about just sitting around with the family that, you know, as soon as dinner was done, you were back in the living room watching TV and you'd sat, you would sit there from seven till you went to bed at night, nine or 10 and, and watch that. And sometimes if mom went to bed early, I could, I could convince dad to let me stay up and watch the news and then watch MASH. And then, uh, and sometimes, even sometimes after that, I get to watch Carson. So sometimes I'd stay up till eleven thirty watching Carson with my dad, so with my stepdad. So that was kind of cool. What my uh, at my house it was um, the way that our house was set up. Um, the TV was on the wall that was by the bottom of the steps to go upstairs. Yeah. So you know they'd be watching whatever it was, and it's like, okay, guys, time for bed. And my bedroom was the closest to the top of the stairs, so it's like, okay, mom, I'm in bed now. You wait like ten minutes. You pull the blanket over, you gently put your feet down, and then you, like, crouch all the way down, and you stomach walked out to the top of the stairs, and then you would sit there, and you'd peek over the top. Yeah, and watch watch the TV <laughs> through a little triangular crack between the stairs and the ceiling, yeah. The most vivid memory I have of that was when the V miniseries was on. Oh, wow. Wow. And I remember it just because it was it was the second one. Because it was when, um, oh, I forget the character's name now, uh, Robin, the daughter, mm-hmm. when she was pregnant mm. and she went to have the baby and the first baby came out and it was all fine and everything like that. And then Julie reaches in and she's like, oh my God, there's a second baby. And she pulls out the little, looking back on it now, cause I actually just watched it very recently. It was such a horrible, <laughs> horrible, it does not, it does not, not hold up. up. No, no, no. <laughs> but Whatever age I was when she pulled that alien out, I made a noise at the top of the steps. My dad's like, "Well, that'll teach you." <laughs> <laughs> I curled back to bed and I went to bed and had nightmares about an alien. Oh. <laughs> what was that? The, the original V series was that Mark Singer, the guy who yeah. was Be- Beastmaster, and Robert Englund was in there as well. And he was um, he was Willie. 
Yeah, he and was alien. He was the good-hearted alien. The good-hearted alien. Wrong. Yeah, and and Freddy Krueger in the movies at the same time. Yeah. Um, and 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 who was the who was the main uh, woman lead in that? Um, um, somebody from some late night soap or something. Yeah, I can't I, remember. I, Dark I, hair, and, and I don't remember. Well, it in wasn't the second series. The 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 one woman, uh, the woman that that came down. She wasn't Diana. Diana was the the girl, the lead girl baddie, and I can't remember her name. But the other woman was the woman that was in Superman. She was Zod's right hand woman. Who's oh right, 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 right. Yes, now. yes, yes. I can't. She was in the second series. Right. Yeah. She's a British actress, and she's um. Yeah. Actually, she came to Galley a few years ago, didn't she? Yeah, she did. yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, uh, that that was like Zora? No. all the time. Yeah. Oh, I'm gonna have to IMDb. Damn it! Damn it! <laughs> if only we had a device that could tell us all the answers to everything. Yeah, really. Wasn't 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 uh, Morgan Fairchild in V at one point? Somebody liked that. Somebody liked that. But oh god, um, uh, curse you! It wasn't the wasn't the actress who was in Hotel, was it? Who went on to be in a hotel uh, later? Hang on, I'm trying to look for... Oh, that doesn't help. You're the second one. Grr. <laughs> first one, first one. Okay, so Mark Singer... Jane Badler. Jane Badler. Yeah, she hmm. was she was Diana. And it was Mark Singer. Bonnie Bartlett was in it. Oh, scary German guy from Monster Squad. He was in it. He was the... He was the... Uh, he was the... The, the one father. Oh, and it's a shame because I, I've seen him in 27 billion other things, but I saw Monster Squad first. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I always remember him as Scary German guy. I seem, to, I seem to remember. I didn't watch a lot of V. I, I seem to remember. I watched a few episodes here and there, but it didn't grab me because I think by that time, I think it was the first time I had ever experienced media saturation because at mm-hmm. that time, when V came out, it was after, like, Buck Rogers, and there were several, like, like mm-hmm. sci-fi series on network TV or syndicated that all kind of looked the same, that yeah. all kind of had similar production value, similar lighting, similar, you know, I mean, you watch, I mean, it was, I think, was Buck Rogers Glenn Larson? Because I think the, the joysticks inside the, the fighters... They were on the exact same one. Exact yeah. same as what's on Battlestar Galactica. That was that was another one. It was Battlestar Galactica. So by the time V came out, I think, like I said, it was probably thirteen, maybe it was probably mm-hmm. eighty two, eighty three, maybe, maybe a little sooner than that. But I think by that time, it was the first time I ever experienced like I've seen this thing a lot. And I remember when Alien Nation came out in the late oh, I loved the late eighties, because the movie tanked, but then the T V show really was caught mm. on. And um but then the movie should have been better because it was James Kahn and Mandy Patinkin and then the T V show yeah. was completely different people. But um but the when that came out, that was the first one that kind of like was a different more of a socio-political commentary type show mm. versus just, you know, a, a, you know, bad, good versus evil thing. It was much more of a... Well, the the whole thing with the... See, I never actually... Because there was the two miniseries, and then there was the television show. Now, I never actually watched the television show, just because I... My father had never watched it, and I actually didn't know it existed until years later. But watching it as a child versus watching it now... Like I said, I'm talking about V. Recently, yeah, V. Yeah, okay. Um, 
I, to a certain extent, now my my dad was a history major. He has a bachelor's degree in history, and but that's you know he he works for Boeing, has done for like thirty some odd years now. But um, he was always big into history, and one of the things that he always kind of talked to me about, though we didn't go into great detail, was the fact that the whole thing with the V miniseries was that it was an allegory to the Third Reich. Ah, yeah. And it was one of those things where I didn't, ne- I never noticed it until I watched it again. Very right, recently. right, yeah, yeah. Like I hadn't picked up on the, like right, hadn't picked up on that stuff. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I, and I like, I never really put it together that basically it pretty much was, you know, an updated version of it rather than being it was, you know, the Germans coming after the Jews, it was the aliens coming after the scientists. Right, and it was right. pretty much the exact same thing. And and again, it was one of those things where it, it always kind of spoke to me as a kid in a certain way, and then watching it as an adult, especially right. now with, unfortunately, the world being as it is, right. it kind of hit me in a different way. Sure, and I was sure. like, oh, wow. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It is funny. I mean, it, it's, it's just... Humans are, humans are funny because... It's just so damn blatantly obvious that we're repeating history and it just, people just don't care. They don't care. I mean, and that's really, I think what it boils down to is people don't care. People are so, and I think part of that is because everybody is so worried or preoccupied with getting through their daily grind and then finding things to distract them from that. Every day in, day out, that that they don't have the time or the energy left to care about doing what it takes to keep us from being oppressed again, all over again. And of course, there's a large segment of, po- of the population who never stopped being oppressed right. and continue to be so, and will be more so. And and it's just it it's heartbreaking and and. Uh, yeah, you know, it's just like I'm done here. Can I go? Can the doctor come and take me away? I'm kind of done with this, you know. And, and it's it's well, rough. It's not, I mean, it's it's to a certain extent, it's almost like that old the, the thing from Hitchhiker's Guide, where I just want to grab my towel, go on the roof, shake it, and go cooey. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Somebody grabs me. <laughs> yeah, give me an electronic thumb, and let's get out of here. Seriously. Yeah. yeah. Ugh, God. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I always try to remember that the the poem, the song, or the poem that Arthur Dent wrote about transmat devices. If you have to take me apart to get there, then I'd rather stay at home. There's a whole there's a whole like page and a half poem that that Arthur Dent wrote about his hatred for for matter transference. Yeah. You know, if you have to take me apart to get there, I'd rather stay at home. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh. That was another one of those. Uh... Like my uh, the first time I read Hitchhiker's Guide, my uncle handed it to me. I think it was like 13 years old, and I don't know that I appreciated as much then as I do now. Oh but yeah, he handed it to me, and it was like, um, you like science fiction, you might like this, right? And I was like, but the, okay. that, and that's the thing, yeah. In and of itself, just as a sci-fi piece, great. In and of itself, just as a comedy piece, great. But the grand, disdainful finger-wagging social socio-political commentary of Mm -hmm. the nature of human existence that is Mm -hmm. broad sweeping and leaves no stone unturned Mm 
mm-hmm. combined with being a great sci-fi piece, combined with being a great comedy piece, it, it just makes... Douglas Adams is a singularity. There will just never be another another author that comes close to anything that he's ever done. Oh, absolutely. I was thinking back to the differences. You were talking about how the newer Star Wars films could go on to get up to the level of the epic and broad sweeping and quality of of the Tolkien works. And I've been thinking about that, and I was like, I think that... George Lucas's storytelling is much more Joseph Campbell, good versus evil, and with some, and he tried to cram some political stuff in there in the prequel trilogies. But Tolkien had such a broader, um, not broader, but a, a more, uh, a more, a farther reaching uh, perspective on mm-hmm. the nature of humanity and and the nature of evil and the nature of good and and the 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 people that are besought with the task of saving humanity are frequently destroyed in the process and right. and and that goes there's a little bit of that to Lucas but I think I think we can all agree that that Tolkien uh, Tolkien's work or mind or or voice is a bit a bit more highbrow than Lucas <laughs> oh, yeah. for lack of a you know Oh, yeah, I mean, because with Tolkien, it wasn't just about the people. It no. was about the place as well. Mm-hmm. Lucas is more, you know, about, you know, the here and the now and the this is your good guy, this is your bad guy, and there's not really a gray area. And explosions. Tolkien was, yeah. yeah, Tolkien much more understood, I think, the human condition, whereas there is the good, there is the bad, there is the gray area, but then there is also the impact that all of that has on the where you are. Right, right. You know, like right. the, the whole commentary about, I mean, just everything with the ends, you know, oh, yeah, and yeah, the idea yeah. that you are directly impacting where you live and how that, you know, impacts everything and not only just the place, but the people and then the future well, what a, of everything. What a, what a great, somewhat subtle or, or, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? But what a great way to integrate an environmental impact in a, in a work that was written in the 1940s and fifties mm-hmm. where people didn't, you, you heard, you, you, you know, back in the seventies going to school, you heard about ecology and you heard about this and that, but you didn't really, it wasn't as impactful or as, as vital, uh, uh or as vitally followed as it is the, today. And, mm-hmm. and to have that message from the past coming forward, um, mm-hmm. I can think it's that it's things like that, that kind of makes at least some of us stop and pay attention to history. Oh yeah. Well, it's like my um. I I was talking with my sister yesterday. She just started watching The Crown, and mm-hmm, she, mm-hmm. we were talking about the. Um, she was asking me. She's like, so the. I just watched that episode that was about the fog that killed all those people. She's like, did that really happen? It's like, yeah, that yeah. that actually happened. Yeah. So I like I, I pulled it up on Google and I showed it to her. She's like, oh my god, like I can't believe. I'm like, that's why they have all, you know, the cleaner stuff and everything that they have now. Because, yeah, yeah it, I mean, it basically shut London down for, what, five or six days? Yeah, yeah. And, and so many people died, whether it was because of the breathing or because they got hit by a car trying to cross the street because they couldn't see or, right, you know, right. everything like that. So yeah. it, it your environment directly impacts how it is. I mean, when people go through, I mean, everything that they're going through, like, you, you 
your power goes out for a while. Yeah. And if for a while, just as a single human being, you get agitated. Sure, sure. And, you know, you start to lose stuff and you've got to look for all this other stuff and that impacts how you treat other people. Oh, yeah. You go from that being just on one person to on a massive scale and it's like, that's why you've got all the, like, crazy insanity that's going on in yeah. certain places. It's like, it's a basic fundamental part of your functioning on a day-to-day basis that is being directly impacted by what is going on around you with... Yeah where you live and with all the things that you know that you kind of take I, for granted. I think people I think we're we're as a society we're getting just so got so goddamn fed up with everything being such a such a pain in the ass. That mm. there's just so much so much unnecessary bullshit everywhere all the time that just we really could not easily but we really could well within the the spectrum of our technology and, and our, you know, rolling our sleeves up and making it happen, make happen. And, and it's just not being done. And, and I think people are, life's hard enough as it is getting up and going to work every day and, and making your bones to put food on the table is hard enough. We don't need all this other crap on top of that too. Right. What, um, what are you consuming right now? Uh, media wise, reading, watching, hearing, listening, anything. Um, I, reading, well, uh, every year, I I was raised Catholic. Okay. Um, and my, my dad is a deacon in the Catholic church. Um, Mm -hmm. I'm not practicing, uh, but I'm not at the same time. I'm, I'm not like a complete, like I haven't distanced myself totally, but I'm kind of like an even keel with it. But there is this book by, um, are you a three timer? Oh no! Okay. No, uh, we call them Swift Catholics. Christmas, Easter, weddings, and funerals. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> but um, but I'm like I'm I'm in a chamber choir. A friend of mine okay. is a music director at a Catholic at a Catholic church. So I'm in his chamber choir mostly because of the fact that we do some gorgeous music. Oh, of course, yeah. Like four and six part harmony. Yeah. And all that other kind of stuff. All that Latin. <laughs> only only two pieces this year. Though. Okay. <laughs> but every year I read this book. I've been reading it for like 10 years now. It's by uh, this gentleman named Christopher Moore. It's called Lamb. I love Lamb. Oh, my God. One of my I favorite books Lamb. of all time. One of my favorite year. books of all time. I think every every person should read that. Any person has ever had any any inkling of any knowledge of Christianity and, and Judaism, Judeo-Christian, anything, should read that book. Yeah. But like like I said, my, my dad's a deacon, so it was one of those things where I read it and I adored it because it wasn't just – it was one of those things where it was like – like in the beginning of it, it's like if you can't, you know, make a if you can't make a joke about your own religion, then you take it way too seriously. Absolutely, you have to be able to take a joke. Absolutely. So I read it and I adored it for multiple very different reasons, and I, I handed my copy of it to my dad, and I'm like, so here's what's going to happen: you're either going to read this book and love it, or you're going to beat me with it afterwards. I'll see you when you're done. <laughs> my and get- he read it. He came up. To, he came up to me. And he looked at me, and he's like, "This is the funniest thing I have ever read." <laughs> yeah. That's good. Because again, it, he. I mean, my father has a great sense of humor, but when it comes to the religion, I'm a little leery about. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah. He was. He was brought up during you know pre-Vatican II. Of course. Like you know, priest was still fast facing the other way. Everything was done in Latin. Yeah. So, yeah. And you know, at the time, he was still in his diaconate classes. So. 
but and he actually took it and certain people that were in his class he recommended it to he's like certain people i know will understand it will appreciate it certain people i know not to say this to <laughs> but it, it kind of gives you an appreciation like i said it's not like i'm not a absolutely every sunday and everything like that like i still have my my belief system and everything like that certain sure. things i'm just like meh. yeah <laughs> but at the same time it's like I, at the same time, it's like if somebody's like, "Oh, there is no God." I'm like, "All right," and if that makes you happy, cool. cool. You know, I don't, you know, I don't feel the need to like be preachy or anything like that. My my philosophy about pretty much everything in life is something that even my father, the hardcore Catholic, and my mother, who's basically—I mean, she was raised Catholic—but for all intents and purposes, she's pretty much a Buddhist. The philosophy that I was taught from a very early age is: as long as you're not hurting anybody, and the other person that you're doing everything with is okay with it. Good on you. Thumb, thumbs up. Yep. Yep. Yeah, yep. Yep. I mean, and my... Uh, it's, it's, the it's the Wiccan... It's the Wiccan philosophy. Do without will, but harm none. And I, I like that. And, you know, it's yeah. like live your life. Do what you do. What you feel is right. Don't hurt anybody and you you're, mm-hmm. should be fine. But I mean, like, even, like, my, my cousin, um, who's, who's a woman, was marrying a woman. She had to go to a different state because it still wasn't legal in Pennsylvania at the point. Mm-hmm, this mm-hmm. was, you know, a little while ago. Mm-hmm. They really wanted my dad to come. But my dad couldn't come and call her because if somebody had seen him, they could have said something, which could have caused a big whole problem for him and everything. So he went and he still he kind of took them to the side and did a little thing and everything like that. And they were hysterical. They were like so grateful because it was like, even though, you know, they're, you know, hardcore, like, you know, the way that they are about, you know, gays, lesbians and everything like that. My dad's like. You're both very happy, lovable people, and I adore you greatly, and you're happy, and you deserve to be happy, so go for it, you know? <laughs> the world needs more stories like that. Yeah. Hearing people look past the rule book to see what the real human condition is, and I think the human condition outweighs anything that's written down anywhere. The, thing that the, the things that people experience on a day-to-day basis every single day needs to take precedence over what's written down on paper uh, in those aspects, you know, um, you know, the, the rules, the laws, the things should be a guideline. And when it comes down to it, isn't life bad enough? Aren't, isn't life, you know, for all intents and for, for lack of a better word, isn't life shitty enough without having to add more to it? It's like, like Marvin said in, in hitchhikers, it's like life's <laughs> bad enough without having wanting to invent more of it, you know? Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> is there, so you're, you're, you're reading Christopher Moore again. What, what else, uh, what else are you reading or we're watching or I'm, uh, podcasts. Um, every once in a while I re-listen to thrilling adventure hour. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I have to, uh, it... do yourself a favor. Listen to yeah. the latest, uh, there's a nerdist from January or February with Acker and Blacker. Oh, yeah. yeah. I'm behind on that one. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> But um, rewatching, I'm I'm splitting my time right now between um, the the original Avengers. Oh yeah, uh, with McNe. Yes. I just got up to uh, McNe and uh, Diana Ray. Nice. And uh, Wire in the Blood, which I watch every once in a while. Cool. With Robson Green, I adore that show. Love it greatly. And I actually read the books before I had seen the show, the Val McDermott books. Cool. Um, that's pretty much it at this point. Nice. And once once summertime hits and I'm not <laughs> I'm not doing two chamber choirs again, <laughs> then I'll have more time to watch and read stuff. <laughs> yeah. Um, I've been wa- uh, 
a lot of my podcasts have been on hiatus for the winter and are coming back like two dope queens and so many white guys two dope queens is actually bringing their show to la uh to the will to the um uh teragram ballroom and i really want to go if i can afford tickets um i'm also trying to get phoebe robinson to be on the podcast i don't know how that'll happen but i contacted her manager we'll see what happens um tried to write as respectful of a letter as i could and professional sounding of a of an email as i could um <laughs> Danny and I just for the first time watched Moana finally, and I've been I haven't I've been kind of touch and go with the Disney movies the last probably ten or fifteen years, but I think the last one we saw was uh, what was the last one we saw before that? I don't remember. Oh, uh, the last one I saw was Finding Dory, and that was really cute. Um, but Moana, I mean, just within the first five minutes, I was tearing up. So God damn it, Disney. <laughs> um, the show that I really, really am dying to watch is Legion because everybody, everything, everyone, every, everybody keeps saying again and again and again is you must watch this show. It's X Files as if it was directed by Wes Anderson and David Lynch. So I'm like, yes, 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 yes. I just had a friend of mine tell me yesterday I needed to watch yes, that. Yes. So that's all my it's on my eventual to do list. And we have an amazing April coming up. Uh, uh, Angie Tribeca's coming back. Doctor Who's coming back. Uh, Twin mm-hmm. Peaks is coming back. Um, just April is going to be just a just a extravaganza, an avalanche of dick of amazing TV. <laughs> I, I am holding out. I'm, I'm holding out for my big one is Mr. Science Theater. Mm-hmm. I am so yes, so that's the other one I'm super excited about. I've been listening. Oh, I can't wait. They did a. Uh, they just did a, a hostful on Nerdist uh, from again from about. I'm, I'm about January, February, maybe early March in my podcast mm-hmm. listening right now. And they did a hostful, and they talked a lot about MST3K and how amazing that oh, yeah. was, and yeah, just can. And I saw the trailer, and I just cannot wait. Um, I think I watched it about five times in a row. Yeah, I'm so excited. Yeah, yeah, it was so good, so good. <laughs> um, I'm just trying to well, think. That was, when, when we were talking earlier about like you know the, the watching stuff with your dad and everything like that, my dad will not watch Mr. Science Theater. Because he watched all those movies yeah, unironically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sure my dad, my dad, uh, t- I did a podcast with my dad, uh, year before last, and, and we talked about how he used to go to the movies every Saturday with his buddies, and, and mm-hmm. I'm sure he was watching all those cheesy, you know, Atomic Era sci fi movies, which oh, just, yeah. I love all well, that shit. It was funny because, like, um, again, when, when I was a kid, um, on Saturdays, what would happen is is that you had the Saturday morning cartoons, yeah. you know, cereal and everything like that. I'd have lunch, and then me and my oldest friend, we had a uh, playground slash rec center that was in within walking distance, and they had ceramics classes at one o'clock every Saturday. Mm-hmm. So you'd go, you bring like two or three dollars, you'd go, you buy, you know, you get a piece, you clean all the like the seams and everything like that, and then you paint it, you put it on the shelf to be fired, you mm-hmm. come back the next week, you put the glaze on, sure, sure. And I, I still have some of them. They're awful. <laughs> when we got home there, and I can't remember what they called it, but it was this, the cheesiest science fiction slash horror movies ever. And it was on, the station was PHL 17. And I always knew it was getting ready to come on because it was an icon graphic of a window with the, the curtains blowing in the breeze and then it would pull out and there would be a candle and then the candle would get blown out by the wind and then the icon for the movie would come up. Right. And it would be all of like, it would be like the Frank Langella Dracula. Oh, nice. And, you know, the Christopher Lee, all the Christopher Lee, the Hammer Horror nice, movies nice. and all those kind of things. And then after that would be 
Freddy's Nightmares, Friday the Thirteenth series, <laughs> awesome. and all of those all of those eighties things. So every once in a while, a movie will come on, and my dad will be like, would be walking past and watching Mystery Science Theater, and he'd be like, "Oh, I've watched that before." <laughs> Did you um the the uh, the um the 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 movie thing the horror movie thing was there a host or was it just the movie no it would i'm sure there i remember there was when i was younger and i do remember every once in a while they would have elvira on yeah yeah it was not something that was all the time so i think it was probably like like a syndicated kind of thing sure sure but i don't the saturday ones when i was older when i used to do that i don't remember there being host it was just Just, they just showed the movie graphic cool and then whatever cheesy movie was the movie nice 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 yeah, we had we didn't have a local a local horror movie person in Denver, but we got Elvira syndicated and and but I did when I would go to Chicago to visit my dad in the summer we would watch uh, Sven Gulli and Sven Gulli and son is still around and mm-hmm. the, the guy on, on one of the local TV stations in Chicago would do the the hosted horror movie thing with the jokes and the, the sketches and the skits and shit and, mm-hmm. and um it's like the the Roddy McDowell bit out of the original Fright Night yeah. yeah 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 or the it's like Elvira or or like Vampira in the fifties you yeah. know it's the same thing mm-hmm. same thing so well Sammy this has been an absolute delight thank you for for talking it's so great to see your face. Yay! But before February, <laughs> so um, um, I, I, it, it kind of sucks being all the way out here. Cause yeah, it's, it is. It's like I, I have to smush so much stuff into like one weekend in February, and I always get home and I'm like, I didn't do half the things that I got wanted to do. I didn't talk to half of the people that I wanted to, or hug ninety percent of the people that I wanted to. Yeah, it's like it's it's just a big blur of. Hi, how you doing? We're gonna do something. Oh crap! I'm back on a plane and yeah, you know, yeah. I'm way back home to Philly. <laughs> well, you could always come out in the fall. Just saying. <laughs> do Halloweeny things. Yes. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Take you out to West Hollywood. <laughs> Uh, uh, well, uh, do you have like any kind of an online presence or the theater that you work for, or any, do they have websites? Uh, plug your plug your stuff. Can- um, I am on Twitter. I'm at Samantha M Warner. Um, the groups that I'm a part of, the Chamber Choir is uh, at Vox Dominici. Um, mm. You're gonna have to spell that on your own. Sure. Uh, I can't spell that off the top of my head right now. And the, the theater groups are uh, at Ghostlight Play and at The Brick Door. Cool. And they have websites. And they, they can, also have websites. People yeah, can find the schedules and all that. Cool. Great. Absolutely. Cool. 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 Excellent. Well, thanks, Sammy. You're wonderful. Thank you, my loves. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this episode is brought to you by WhedonCon 2017, May 19th through the 21st at the Woodland Hills Marriott. Single day or weekend tickets are on sale now at WhedonCon.com. I'm at St. Michael on Twitter. That's S-A-Y-N-T-M-Y-K-L. Check out our blog. Listen to past episodes on Something2XP.net. We are everywhere online as Something2XP. Please subscribe and review us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play Music Podcasts. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram, like us on Facebook and Google Plus, email us at something2xp at gmail.com and remember, please be kind. You've just listened to the Something Something Experience podcast with your host, Michael John Simpson. Something 2XP was conceived and produced by Michael John Simpson. Intro music, Ways to Change Faces, and outro music, Scorpio 37, was written Produced and provided by the talented Sebastian Cesari. 
please visit our website and blog at something2xp.net. You can find us online everywhere as Something2XP. Please subscribe and review us on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and Google Play Music. Please follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and like us on Facebook and Google+. You can email us at something2xp at gmail.com. We invite your feedback. Please be kind.